0: Today we're going to be looking at another responsibility of Christians in their local churches. First Peter chapter four, I' want to invite you to stand up for the reading of God's word. First Peter chapter four, verse seven, starting verse seven. The end of all things is at hand. therefore, therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers, and above all. Since the end of all things is coming. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly. Since love covers a multitude of sins. Here is how we are going to love one another. Show hospitality to one another. Without grumbling. As each, each person, each Christian has received a gift. Use it to serve one another. As good stewards of God's manifold grace. Whoever speaks, as one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves, as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. In order that, in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To Him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. You may be seated. Words have meaning. And I know we live in a time when people feel like they can say whatever they want, as if their words didn't mean much. But words have meaning. It's interesting that the second person of the Godhead, the Trinity, is the Word. God is a speaking God. Words have power. Words have meaning. And our vocabulary speaks a lot about our condition. It was interesting, I came across a, an article was published in the CBS News, and the title was, the title of the article was, Study Finds Modern Words' Choices Reflect a More Self-Centered Culture. And they go on in the article, and I invite you to think through these things. It says, the way in which the English language and words used changes over time. It says a lot, says a lot about how Americans and, and the British have become more self-centered according to a new UCLA study released Wednesday. A research team led by psychologist Patricia Greenfield found that more than 1.5 million American and British books published between 1800 and 2000 paying attention to word frequency and usage in comparison to cultural values. The increase and decrease of certain words, she said, reveals how society has responded to major historical shifts and become more individualistic. For example, the study says the frequency of the words choose and get in these books rose between 1800 to 2000, while less and less people use the word oblige, obligation, obligation, give, <laughs> over the past two centuries. The research also shows a gradual rise in the use of the word what? I feel I just feel like oh I feel like and declining the use of act do something the study suggests this is due to a focus towards inner mental life and away from outward behavior the importance of obedience to authority also seems to have faded writers are less likely to use obedience authority belong praise they study found. On the other hand, the words child, unique, individual, and self became more common over the past two centuries. Brothers and sisters, sadly, as you look at the church, has been contaminated. The church has been contaminated by that. It's this me, 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 me. It's all about me. How I feel. What I like. It's all over the place. Two weeks ago, Luke and I, we were in Portland, in Beaverton, and we drove by a church it was very interesting because that church, I remember the name of the church, so I, was, I know this church, so I googled that church, the name, and there was the homepage, Welcome. So I went there, and the, the two pastors were there, they, they, there, there was a video, a welcoming video, and here is how they began the video, and that's the whole video of welcoming people at their church. We design our services with you in mind. From the time you walk into the campus to the time you leave it, it's an environment you can relax and enjoy. You can bring your kids with you and they can enjoy our fun and safe safe kids program. As an adult, you can come into the auditorium and enjoy some upbeat music and practical teaching. It's all about you, you feeling good. It's all about me, brothers and sisters. It's all over the place. One of the ways that we created here in America to invite people to follow Jesus was, do you want to have a personal relationship with Jesus? Do you have a personal relationship with Jesus? You see, Jesus saves us individually, and we cannot deny that. That would be wrong. But do you see where it takes us when you start using unbiblical terminology? I have a personal relationship with Jesus. I can have church wherever I want. I can, I can worship The way I want. Never understanding that yes, Jesus saves individuals, but it never ends in that individualistic way. It's always a corporate thing. You are saved, yes. A person is saved. An individual is saved. Jesus will think about you personally, but not just you alone, so that you could be in a group of people. But that's the thing. It's all about me. Me. The words, the books, the articles, the songs. It's all about me. And I come to the church. Do you have a personal relationship with Jesus? Yes, I do. Therefore, I can do whatever I want. So, when you tell these people who are so immersed, baptized in this me culture, Me too! Hashtag, me too! It's all about me! Selfie! It's all about me! So, when you come to this culture and you say, actually... The Bible has duties for you. The Bible has obligations upon you as a Christian. They get scandalized.
1: No way!
0: And you see, that's that's what we are looking at throughout the New Testament. The New Testament has no apologies. The same grace that saved you is the same grace that empowers you to save others. The same grace that saved you is the same grace that comes as a yoke upon you and binds you to other people in order that you may serve other people. And as we are looking at, we saw the the greatest obligation of all Christians is to love one another. Love one another. John chapter thirteen. Love one another. How? As I have loved you. And we saw that to love one another as we go through the New Testament, we obey this commandment in the context of a local church. And also, we don't define how we love one another. The Bible defines how we love one another. And that's key, brothers and sisters. That's what I'm trying to show you. That's what I have been trying to show you. How we love one another. You don't decide how you love one another. We don't decide that. God decides. He knows what love is because He is love. And as we are walking through the New Testament, we saw that we love, we fulfill the commandment to love one another. First of all, By welcoming one another into our lives. Welcome one another as Christ welcomed you. We saw that. Then we move to Hebrews chapter 10. The duty, the responsibility, the privilege of stimulating one another into love and good deeds. Do not forsake the assembly. Instead, you come to church and you come ready to do what? To exhort, to comfort, to encourage one another. Let me ask you. Who are you thinking about this week? They said, I Lord, bless this person in specific. You have been studying. Do remember, the author of Hebrews says, you Study the members of your church. Pay careful attention to know the needs that they have. What they are going through. And then you go and you encourage them. You goal them. So, who are you thinking about? Have you done that today? Have you done that this week? Have you texted someone say, Hey, I have been praying for you about this. I have been thinking about you. Also, we saw that we have the duty and the obligation of building one another up instead of destroying, instead of demolishing with gossip, with absence of loving acts. We need to build one another up, First Thessalonians 5. And last Lord's Day, we saw the duty and the privilege of sharing, giving our financial gifts in a sacrificial, generous, and cheerful manner. I received a lot of feedback from you, and I'm glad. I'm glad you have been thinking about that a very important subject as we talk about last Lord's Day. And I think bottom line brothers and sisters, when it comes to giving, here's the question. Is there anything is there anything in your life that you cannot do because of your giving to the Lord? Is there anything in your life that you cannot do that you cannot buy, that you cannot afford, not because you haven't saved enough, not because you're saving too much but because of your giving to the Lord. That's sacrifice. That's a sacrifice. Because If there is no sacrifice, if it's not sacrificial, it's not pleasing to the Lord. And today we're going to be looking at another duty and privilege of sharing not the financial gift, but the spiritual gift that the Lord has given us. So the responsibility and privilege of using your spiritual gifts. And the outline is very simple. We are going to be walking through 1 Peter 4. Verse 10, the duty prescribed. Verse 11, and the first part of the verse 11 is how to perform the duty. And then the last part of verse 11 is the purpose or aim of fulfilling this duty. So let's go, let's go to 1 Peter chapter 4. Let's walk through these glorious verses. Uh, we talked about 1 Peter before. And you remember it's a letter written to Christians, to churches, that they were suffering a lot of persecution. They were suffering a lot of persecution. And Peter, he, he spent the, the first portion of his letter telling those Christians who they are. And that's all we saw. Who they are, who we are as Christians. But you are, do you remember? A chosen race. A royal priesthood. We walk through these verses. You are strangers and aliens in this land. So do not be surprised by the sufferings. And then, as you are walking through that letter, Peter addresses who they are, and then he starts addressing how they must live in this strange land, how they are to behave. But it's interesting, starting in in verse 7 of chapter 4, there's kind of a a, a transition here, and he's going to move to dealing specifically how we are to live in the local church, in the congregation here, how we are to treat one another. And look at verse 7 in your Bibles, you see the end of all things is at that hand. That's similar to Hebrews 10. Remember, the day is approaching. Don't forsake the assembly, especially as the day is approaching. That's here, Peter too. The end of all things—it's coming, brothers and sisters. Therefore, what? Go home and sleep? Go home and watch TV? Every time? You think about eschatology—the the teaching of the last things. It's not just satisfy your curiosity. In the Scriptures, the doctrine of the last things, eschatology, is always leading to action. So Look at that. The end of all things, it's coming. Therefore, you've got to do something. And the fact that Jesus is coming back and the end is near, should propel and drive us forward to be even more involved with our local churches. That's what Peter is saying here. Very similar to the author of Hebrews. Remember, the excuse you always give. Back in the day, it was easy to be a church. But now... But now, all my activities, all the activities I have for all my kids, so many activities. See, it's the opposite. The scripture says, since the day is coming and we are closer to the end, the second coming, the consummation of all things, therefore, be all the more diligent to be with your brothers and sisters. And then he starts telling us what we are supposed to do, to be sober-minded, our relationship with the Lord. And then he says in verse 8, above all, Above all, keep loving one another earnestly. Here's a man who knew very well about love, Peter. He knew. He knew what love was. Do you remember what he did to the Lord Jesus? He denied him. And he was a recipient of love. He was an object of Jesus' love. He knew love very well. So he says, So keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. And what Peter is saying is, I know, I know you will hurt one another. As you live in a congregation of people who have not yet been glorified, you will hurt one another. But you need to keep loving one another. And when they come and they ask for forgiveness, or maybe sometimes the sin must be overlooked if it's not that serious, you've got to cover it. Christians should not be in the business of publicizing each other's shortcomings and sins and faults. That's horrible when you go to a place and, and people are just telling each other's faults and sins. Or you meet a couple and one spouse is always criticizing the other, always showing, publicizing the shortcomings of the other one. That's not love. Love covers a multitude of sins. Not that you're going to ignore heinous, grievous sins. But you need to be careful. You should not be in the business of publicizing in a sinful way. There is a biblical way to do that. But there is also a sinful way to do that. And then he goes on to show us what, how we, we are to keep loving one another. And here is where I want us to focus. We will keep loving one another earnestly when we use our gifts to serve one another. Look at verse 10. As each has received a gift. Peter's words are very clear. The Greek here is each one. Every single one. Peter is not addressing, Hey! Those who have some gifts. Here, that group. Let's stop here. Let, Let me address that group. The group of people who have spiritual gifts. Because there are some people who don't have spiritual gifts. No, every single Christian has a spiritual gift. That's Peter's words. They're clear. The rest of the New Testament also tells us that. Every and each church member has a gift. One commentator says, Christian service takes a multitude of forms, and everyone in God's family has a part to play. Whatever may be the feelings of inadequacy, no one is too weak or incapable of contributing something to the community. And he, has, and he says that each single one of us has received a gift. The word charisma, charisma from where we get haris, grace, and speaks of a divine enablement provided by God's grace for serving. There is a lot of confusion about gifts and what are spiritual gifts, what is that, the charisma. Here is how I would define the gift. It's a special and unique endowment of God given graciously to you for the benefit of others in the body of Christ. Here is what a spiritual gift is. They are peculiar capacities that God gives to each one of His people in order to serve others for the manifestation of His ultimate grace, the grace of salvation. So we think about there is the gift of the Spirit, and the gift of the Spirit is the gift of repentance and faith, according to Acts chapter 2. The gift of the Spirit. That's the gift of salvation. And inside this this gift of the Spirit, there is the gift of the Spirit that will help you in your sanctification. In your sanctification, the sanctification of your brothers and sisters. That's very important to think about this. There's the gift of salvation and within the gift of salvation there are the gifts of the Spirit in order to promote sanctification in your life and in the life of others. When do you... That's a question that I often hear. When do we receive these gifts? Is the gift given before or after salvation? Do we receive the gifts only at the moment of salvation or we had those gifts before? Have you thought about that? When were you gifted? The Bible is clear that you are gifted if you are a Christian. You have a spiritual gift. The Holy Spirit's empowering you. We are not explicitly told here. I personally believe that there are natural talents and gifts that the Lord gave us when He created us. And these gifts and talents, they are the same. They are reshaped and sanctified by the Spirit in our regeneration or recreation. In order to be used for the kingdom of God. So when God created you and He created Zach. And when He created Zach... He gave Zach, since he was a little baby, in the womb of his mom, some gifts, some talents that were there. And once he's recreated, born again, those talents now are sanctified by the Spirit and they become spiritual gifts, spiritual talents. But that's not to deny that the Lord can give special gifts after your salvation. I would not deny that sometimes you have people who are hardened hearts. And as they get saved, suddenly they become shepherds. So, the Bible is not clear. There are gifts. There were supernatural gifts that were given after salvation for a specific occasion. And there are gifts that we receive in our birth, since we are, from the moment we are created by God. I think about myself. I never liked speaking in public, I always hated speaking in public. I never spoke in public at school. I would hide I would not go to class when I had to speak in public and stand in front of people traumatized my mom once said wow where are you going with your life she said you look like an animal from the woods it's like you're so shy but you see, and then like after salvation it's like every opportunity I have to speak in public yes let me preach the gospel so was it there sleeping or the Lord gave me after salvation I have no idea I have no idea Think about Paul and Peter. Saul, Peter, he was always fiery. He was always the speaker of the group. After salvation, that speaking gift is sanctified by the Lord, and he becomes the main preacher of the early church. How about Saul? Paul, he was very gifted. A lot of knowledge, a lot of things that he received growing up, and then suddenly, once he gets saved, they become a spiritual gifts because it's used by the Spirit. So, Grant Osborne, in his commentary in First Peter, he says, Talents become spiritual gifts when dedicated to and used for God and His church. So, verse 10, as each has received a gift, brothers and sisters, each one of us has a gift that the Lord graciously, lovingly, He measured and He said, alright, alright, here is Abby, and He measured that gift, that's what other portions of the New Testament tells us, and He graciously gives to her. Another question is, what are my gifts? What are my gifts? And you see that Peter he has a very broad spectrum here. It's it's just speaking and serving. That's how he divides the gifts. Speaking and serving. That's how he divides these two broad categories of gifts. But It's important because Peter's list, and you have there, is not intended to be exhaustive But simply illustrative. Just like all the other lists of the New Testament. So you get all the lists of uh, 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12, Ephesians 4, 1 Peter 4. These lists, they are not exhaustive. They are illustrative. They they illustrate all the many different gifts that God gives to His different people in different occasions. That's very important. Sometimes you're going to go to a place and they're going to ask you to take a, a gift survey to see what gifts you have. And just be careful. Be careful. Uh, Most Christians that I know, their gifts are not even listed in the New Testament. Why? Because that wasn't God's purpose. That was not His purpose. They would check this box and say, alright, here, I have the gift of wisdom. Oh, here, I have this gift here. That was not God's purpose. They are illustrative of all the manifold gifts that God gives to His people. I think about this list the list we find in the New Testament and am I gifted to teach or to preach? Are you gifted to teach or to preach? Well what is interesting is that preaching is not even in the in the lists in the New Testament. And it's such an important role in the New Testament. And preaching is not a gift in the lists of gifts. Am I am I gifted with teaching or exhortation? Did the Lord gift me as a leader or administrator? Oh, wait a second, to be an elder you need to be gifted in administrating the household of God. But you see how you got to be very careful with being oh, we need to check this. These are the, the only gifts that we find in the New Testament. No, they're illustrative. Am I gifted with mercy or hospitality? Is there a difference? Biblical hospitality without grumbling, loving, being generous? Do I have the gift of word of knowledge or wisdom? You see, if you start going trying to do that thing that oh, you need to check the box, Man, that's messed up. <laughs> that is messed up. Do I have the gift of help or mercy? Eh? Unless, do I have the gift of singleness? First Corinthians 7, Paul says that actually singleness is a charisma, a gift. So, the reason why we have such a hard time classifying ourselves and, and trying to come up with, oh, I have this gift here, is because God never intended us to do that. Yes, there is specific and unique gifts that you have, and sometimes they are not described in the New Testament. Because those lists were never intended to be exhausted. But just to illustrate what Peter says here. The manifold grace of God. God has given us a package of different gifts. In my case, gift of leading, preaching, teaching, exhorting, and for sure not playing instruments. That I know for sure. I have tried and didn't work. How do I discover my gifts? That's another question the we always hear from people, well, how do I discover my gifts? How do I know the gifts I have in order to serve the body? And let me tell you something. You will not find out your gifts by taking a survey test. Okay? No. You find out your gifts by serving in a local church. As you see the needs of a local church and you roll up your sleeves and you go and you do it, all these different things, the Lord starts showing you what you're gifted with. And other people in the congregation will tell you, Man, you're gifted with that. You have this gift. Why? Because you're sitting, listening to sermon after sermon after sermon after sermon? No. Because you're doing. Because you're serving. Because you're doing something. That's how you discover the gifts. As you exercise service, people start noticing certain gifts. Your heart starts longing for certain activities. As we are quick to wash others, other people's feet, jumping to supply where the church lacks, serving others, we will, I guarantee you, you will find out your gifts. But here is the key, the purpose. What is the purpose of these spiritual gifts? Verse 10. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. It's not optional. It's, not, it's up to you if you want to serve. No. It's a command. Use it to serve one another. You have a gift and you have an obligation. You have a demand to do what? Bury the talent, you lazy servant. No. We have the duty and responsibility and privilege of serving one another with that gift. The word to serve, the verb diaconel, from where we get deacon, was used for people serving tables. It speaks of people Of people coming and meeting other people's needs. Someone who is active in coming and serving other people and their needs. And what's fascinating is that these people here were suffering. Suffering terrible persecution. Persecution that none of us have experienced yet. And yet, look what Peter says. Keep serving one another. Most Christians in America would say, hey, that's the time to stay at home. A lot of suffering, a lot of persecution. Let's just stay at home and be safe. Load your guns and let's be ready. Let's just stay at home. You see, no, you keep meeting together and as you're suffering, you keep serving one another with your gifts. No excuses. So use your gifts to serve one another. It's not a platform platform to show your beauty. It's not a pedestal for you to shine or to parade yourself. But actually, your gift is a towel and a basin for you to get down on your knees and wash each other's feet. That's why the Lord has entrusted you with a gift, so you can serve one another. Your gift must never be used as a weapon of exploitation. Oh, I'm so good as a musician. They need me. They need me so I can have demands, exploitation. I'm so gifted with this. The church needs me. So, you think you can have certain demands. Hold the church hostage with your gift. Ah, 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 ah. Remember that 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter, is perfectly structured between two chapters on spiritual gifts, And that's Paul's main point. It's not that we should use that passage at weddings. But that as a church, the main point of Paul is that that chapter should empower us and motivate us to use our gifts in love. Love should be the driving force. In serving one another. Your gift is not for self-glorification, self-fulfillment, self-gratification. It Does not to be abused, misused. Because when you do that, you end up in frustration. Let me tell you. So, Peter says, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. That's amazing. Think, honestly, think about this. Every single Christian has been entrusted with a gift to serve one another. The Lord has given you a gift to serve one another. And what is what we hear so much today as people come to church is, what can this church do for me? What are you guys going to do for me? How are you going to help my marriage? How are you going to help my bank account? How are you going to help my kids? That's how people come to church. What will you do for me? And when the church, and once the church doesn't fulfill your expectations, what do you do? What do you do leave go to another church and then what do you do at the other church same thing and then you go to another church and you do what the same thing and what's so fascinating is that there's such a lack of accountability between the churches that instead of another the the second church say hey actually you're living wrong you need to repent oh no let's welcome him and her and we have this christianity so what peter says must radically change how you approach the church. So if you are saved, your approach to a healthy church must be, how can I serve this body? How can I serve these people? And we, members of this church, that's why we must be looking at people who want to be members here. How are they serving as they can this body? Because you see, it's not just about the person coming. And yes, I think you should be coming here if you want to be a member and watching us but let me tell you, you're watching YouTube. Are you serving? What are you going to offer to this body here? Spurgeon once said, Charles Spurgeon, we ought to have churches all busy for God. What is the use of a church that simply simply assembles to hear sermons? It's just a family that just gathers to eat meals. It's pointless. You know, you have those families and the family tradition, we eat dinner every single night together, but there is no love between the family members. There is no help. What is the point of eating together? None. If you are not loving and helping each other, oh, to get a working church. The German churches, when our dear friend Mr. Oaken was alive, always carried out the rule of asking every member, what are you going to do for Christ? And they put the answer down in a book. That's a good idea. The one thing that was required of every member was that he should continue doing something for the Savior. If he ceased, if he stopped doing anything, it was a matter for church discipline. That's scandalizing today. We're going to excommunicate you because you're not an active church member. And that's why the Metropolitan Spur- Spurgeon's church was so healthy. That's what they practiced. For he was an idle professor and could not be allowed to remain the church, just like a drone in a hive of working bees. Does anybody know what a drone is? If that bee that doesn't do anything. he just does something with the queen. But he's never working with the other ones. Here's Spurgeon's illustration. He must do or what? Go. How healthy the church in America would be if we were faithful to the scriptures. You know why? Because a person who professes to be a Christian, but is not using his gifts into serving others, is actually a walking contradiction. How can you claim to be a Christian? How, how can you claim to love Jesus, the servant of all? How can you claim to belong to Jesus, the servant of all, and not be serving others? Man, you're deceiving people. That's harmful for the body. You need to repent. Doesn't repent? Alright. Church discipline. And look how Peter says. He defines us. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards. As good stewards. Not as celebrities. As the good, gifted ones. No, as the stewards of God's manifold grace. The the Greek word, oikonomos, oikos refers to house, and nomos refers to laws and rules, refers to a slave who was entrusted with managing his master's household and estate. Another lexicon says, oikonomos was commonly a superior slave of tried character, who looked after the accounts of a household. That's how we must see ourselves, as a slave, as a slave who has been entrusted with God's gift. Slaves who were graciously entrusted with some very important matters related to God's household. Let me ask you, how have you been managing God's gift? And I'm pretty sure that Peter has in mind those parables that Jesus told about the talents, about the stewards. How have you been managing what God has entrusted you with. What have you been doing sir your life? As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's. And that's a beautiful, beautiful sentence of God's manifold grace. We are a gathering, an assembly of servants, slaves who display the manifold wisdom and grace of God by serving one another with our gifts. Everywhere you look, that, that's the, the word that Peter is using here. Us all these multicolors. That's what he's picturing. Everywhere you look in the church, you should be seeing a beautiful color of God's grace as people are serving one another. That's Peter's picture here. The manifold, multicolored, poikloi. The church is God's art gallery where each member displays the grace of God through services. Your service here displays the genius of God and His marvelous grace. Think about that. When you're setting up all these things here, putting the camera, placing the sermon on YouTube, when you're setting up the chairs, whatever you are doing, you are part of God's art gallery displaying displaying His beautiful grace to the world and to one another. It's interesting. Think about that. Because a lot of times we think that We use the word sacrament. I don't use, I use ordinance. A lot of times, good and faithful Christians use the word sacrament. Why? Because they think that the grace of God is transferred where? The Lord's Supper, baptism, and the preaching. Brothers and sisters, what Peter is saying here is radical. When you serve one another, you are distributing, you are a channel of God's grace to other people. So it's not just the preaching. It's not just the partaking of the Lord's Supper. It's not just baptism. Serving one another, you are displaying, you are a channel of God's grace to one another's lives. In God's art gallery, the local church, there is an interdependence of all believers. We need each other to be dispensers of and also recipients of God's gifts and grace. And then let's keep moving. Verse 11. Verse 11. Here's how we are to perform this duty. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God. So, everyone, every time someone is serving the Lord with the gift of teaching, maybe you're leading the children's Bible study, the women's Bible study, the men's Bible study, teaching. Every time you're using your words, you are to do what? Speak the oracles of God. You are to be an instrument. That we will be just dispensing what God spoke in His revelation, the scriptures. Okay? That's why when you come here, you're not hearing about the tr- the new movie, the new social trend. No. The oracles of God. Whoever speaks, whoever teaches, the oracles of God. Faithful. You're going to do that, and you have the material. It's God's Word. How about serving? Okay, He says, and whoever serves, as one who serves by the strength, the might, that God supplies. So, every task in the church is a God-dependent task. Every task you perform must be performed by the strength that God supplies. Why do people get burned out in church? (sighs) serving too much. (sighs) Ah, serving too much. Why? Because of this. They're not doing for God's glory and they're not doing the strength of the Lord. When it becomes something that you need to do, and you start doing it on your own effort in your own strength, let me tell you, yes, you will get burned out. Do you set up here mindful of the strength of God in you? Do you prepare a dish for the potluck mindful of the strength that God's giving you to prepare that dish for the people in the church? Do you drive the trailer, greet people? Click the PowerPoint during the music. Edit the sermons. Visit the members of the church. Help members moving. Mindful that God is supplying you that strength for that service. Yes or no? (laughs) We should. We must. We must. Everything you're going to do. I'm going to play the keyboard. I'm not me. (laughs) Whatever you're going to (laughs) do. Lord, give me the strength to do it for your glory. I want to do it in your strength. Not mine. Because I'm weak. I'm feeble. I need your strength, Lord, to do this. I'm going to greet there. I'm going to stand there, and Lord, please give me the strength to do that for your glory. And then, the purpose and aim of this duty, in order that in everything—not in something, but in everything—God may be glorified through Jesus. The goal of my service is not so that people may feel comfortable. So, may... remember what I read in the beginning of this sermon. We make church thinking about you. No, about the glory of God in everything, in everything. Why do you serve? Why do you sing? Why do you stand here singing, playing? Why do you give? Why do you greet? Why do you work with the church website? Why do you serve the children? Why do you visit those who are suffering? Why do you serve with finances? Why do you bring the church trailer? Why do you set up this place? Why do you play an instrument? Why do you take the time to buy the elements for the Lord's Supper? Why do you study? Take the time preparing the studies. Why? The answer to this question, brothers and sisters, hear me, the answer to this question will determine will determine the longevity and the joy in your ministry. Why do so many people start and they stop. They lost track of the true aim, the glory of God. If you lose track of why you are doing that, you will stop. If your ultimate goal and aim is not the glory of God alone, let me ask you. How will you feel when people don't recognize your service? Worst. How you will feel when people come with hostility and hate towards you? I'm just loving this person. I'm just serving Him. And He's hostile. He's hateful. I'm done. I'm done with church. Right? If you have the wrong purpose, the wrong aim, that that in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. That's what makes and keeps a church and its members stable. Once you stop aiming and living for the glory of God, immediately you start living for the glory of man. And that's a disaster. That's a disaster. And that's just Think about that. In everything, what is the everything here? In every service that we do, in everything that we do, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. The glory of God is manifested in a church when the church is equipped through the preaching and each member serves one another with his gift. A church in which most people do not serve is actually robbing God of his glory. and That's what's sad. You talk to pastors and they tell you, actually, it's just a handful of people serving my church. Now, what are those people doing? The other ones who are not serving, they're robbing God of His glory. God's not being glorified, so their laziness. Well, let me ask you, have you received the gift of the Holy Spirit? Have you received the gift of salvation? Have you repented of your sins, trusting Jesus? If your answer is yes, then the Bible is clear. You have spiritual gifts that you must use in a local church. Very simple and clear. Your greatest need now is to serve. If you are a Christian born from above, you are gifted by God and under the obligation to serve one another in a healthy local church for the glory of God. And I, I love and I think we must keep that in mind. As each has received a gift, you use it to serve one another as good stewards. That's who we are, that's who you are. You are a slave in charge of something very important that the head and owner of the household has placed under your care. So, how have you been managing this gift? How have you been serving your church with the gift God gave you? And to refuse, to refuse to use your gift is to defy the Lord. It's to say, I don't care about you. And you may clothe yourself with fake humility that you don't have gifts. Uh-uh-uh-uh. The Bible is clear. We all have gifts to serve. To refuse to exercise, is to rebel against God. Lastly, open our Bibles to Matthew chapter 25. That's I just want to finish with this passage, and I think it's very crucial. Matthew chapter 25, the parable of the talents. And the talent, the portion of money, clearly Peter is applying that to Christians and represents the whole life, the gift that God gives us. In Matthew chapter 25, starting verse 14, and you see once again the eschatology leads to what? Action, service, and Jesus' language is pretty severe here. For it will be like a man going on a journey, who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents; to another one, uh, to another two, and to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. The kids kids he had five talents he got five more how many ten good so also he who had the two talents made two talents more but he who had received the one talent went and dug it in the ground and hid his master's money now after a long time the master of the of those servants came and settled accounts with them and he who had received the five talents came forward bringing five talents more saying, master you deliver to me five talents. Here, I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Look at the paradox. The more you serve, what? the more privilege you receive to serve more. That's God's kingdom. Great! You serve very faithful with five. So I will give you more things for you to serve with. Why? Because the more you serve, the more you become like the servant of all. Reaping where you did not sow, and gathering where you scattered no no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what's yours. But his master answered him, You, you wicked and lazy, slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown, and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. Growing. Do you remember what we are talking about? Growing in your gifts. In your responsibilities. Excel even more in this. Excel in this. So take the talent from him. And give it to him who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has will more be given. And he will have an abundance. Abundance of all. More responsibilities. The privilege of, of responsibilities and serving the church. That's amazing. The more faithful you are to Christ, it's the opposite of the world. The more you can rest. Right? In the world, the more you make money, the greater your company grows, the more you can put other people in charge and just step back. and Not in the kingdom of God. The more responsibility you're given to serve more. But from the one who has not even that, what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Here's the lesson. Very simple, very basic. Laziness in relation to using what God has entrusted you with will lead to eternal affliction. That's the simple point. J.C. Ryle, he writes, Let us leave this parable with a solemn determination by God's grace never to be content with a profession of Christianity without practice. Let us not only talk about religion, but act. Let us not only feel the importance of a religion, but do something to you. We are not told that the unprofitable servant was a murderer, a thief, or even a waster of his Lord's money. But he did nothing. And this was his destruction. Let us be aware of a do-nothing Christianity. Such Christianity does not come from the Spirit of God. To do no harm, says Baxter, is the praise of a stone, not of a man. I just came and sat down here all all his life, all her life, just sitting at church. Baxter says, that's the praise of a stone. So why? Why does the Lord use such a severe language, such a harsh language for those who are not using His talents, His gifts, the way he wants. Why? Think about that. Why? Why is he so serious about that? Why is he so severe? You lazy servant. Take him to the outer darkness. Why Why is Jesus doing that? Why is he so harsh? Brothers and sisters. Here is the key. Because of the price paid for you to have those gifts. Why? Would Jesus say, You lazy, unprofitable servant. Go to the darkness. Why? Because of the costly price paid for those gifts. How did He purchase those gifts? With His own death. With His own blood. And now you do nothing with that? Do you know what you're doing? You're saying, your death, your life, they're all worthless. And that's why the Lord Jesus says that. Therefore, to neglect the use of your gift is to despise and trample upon the price paid by Jesus on that cross to purchase these gifts. So many people. <laughs> I, just, I don't have gifts. I don't have gifts. I can preach. I can sing. I can play. You think that the Lord Jesus will embrace you? Say, yeah, yeah, I'm sure you didn't have any gifts to use. Actually, in Luke twelve forty seven says that that person will, re- will re- receive a severe beating. Why? Because your gift is a costly stewardship and trust to you. Downplaying your gift is not humility, but ingratitude. So if you're not serving the church with the gift that God gave you, that's not humility, that's ingratitude towards the cross, towards His sacrifice. That's why Jesus used strong, severe language for those who despise the talents. His grace purchased salvation and service. And for me, that's the, just like with all the other responsibilities and duties. That's the beauty and the paradox, is that all these responsibilities and du- duties are actually what? privilege. They're privilege. Why? Because the more you serve, the more you become like who? Jesus Christ, the servant of all. So all the duties, they're actually privileged as we are welcoming one another. Who do we look like? We look like Jesus who welcomed us. When we exhort one another, when you comfort one another, who do we look like? Jesus. When we give sacrificially, who do we look like? Jesus. When we serve one another for the glory of the Father, who do we look like? Jesus. So this is the duty this paradox that actually it's the privilege. That's why those who are faithful, instead of saying, alright, just take time off. You, you did good. You served good for ten years. Now you can just relax. Actually, no, it's more work. You proved yourself faithful. So you have more work to do in the church. And the more work that person has, the more joyful he becomes. You know, people who struggle in a church, most often, you say, how have they been serving the church? How have they been serving the church? Is there that service in the strength of the Lord? In the joy of the Lord? No. So it's no surprising. It's no surprising at all that they are frustrated with the church. Because the more you serve, Jesus said, John chapter 13, after He washed the disciples' feet, He says, now you know these things. Blessed are you if you do it. Happy are you. Joyful are you if you do it. Do what? Serve one another. So, let us refuse to be like our culture. Me, 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 me. And instead, let us be like true Christianity. Give, serve. How can I help? How can I serve? And I'm very thankful. I'm very thankful for this church, for the members here, for the heart to serve. But just like in all other areas, I believe we have a lot of space and room to grow. Right? Unless you... You became perfect in this area already. We all have space. We have room to excel, to grow. So, let us be good and faithful servants. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your word. Your word is a reflection of your character. true, it's beautiful, it's powerful, and it's transforming. Lord, help us. You have given us talents. You have given us gifts. Help us to use it for your glory and your strength to serve one another. And as we do that, you promise that you will increase our joy. You will increase our satisfaction in you. So, we thank you. We thank you for these duties that are actually privileges in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.